we're going to continue today in, uh, in our sermon series we're calling Known. And this might be the last day for it, since next week is pastor appreciation, and then the week after we might jump into something new. And so this is something we've been studying for a few weeks now, and primarily it's about this reality that we have to get our, our heads around, that we are known uh, by God, which is how, this all comes from Psalm 139, by the way, we are known by God, and that we also indeed know God. And that's what we talked about last week, this, this, this amazing realization that not only does God know us intimately, but that he reveals his thoughts to us. That's what David writes in the psalm about that. And so we've talked about this kind of journey in the psalm. I hope you've taken it with us. I hope you're in a family group where you're studying the word of God, not just listening on Sunday and and then hoping it kind of sticks, but you're actually engaged with a family group and you're talking about the Word of God and how it applies to your life, because we think that's where it has traction in our lives, is when we really sit down together and we examine God's Word. We ask hard questions, we pray together, we answer hard questions when we can, and we don't know, we say, I don't know, we're going to pray about that. It's this journey of uh, discovering God's will for our life and understanding His thoughts, and so that's what we're trying to do together as the people of God. All right, so today we're going to talk about being known uh, for passion, and we're going to read from the psalm, and then I'm going to, to pray for us. We're going to be working from Psalm 139 today and from Luke 6. I'm going to read this, and we're going to pray like you always do, that God would inspire us to understand his word today. That's why we come here, to worship him, to know him better. And, and so we're going to um, pursue him today in the text. Listen to what David writes today. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Let's pray together for his inspiration. Uh, Father God, as we come here today to sing praises of your glory, it's true. You are worthy of praise from every set of lips on this planet, from every heart and soul on this planet, that they rightly ought to turn to you to proclaim your goodness with all of creation, with, with everything you've made as it turns toward you and toward your kingdom. I pray, Father God, that for my friends not gathered here today, that as we examine your word, we would turn to you and we would listen to you and hear what your word has to say to us today. Father God, I pray that it's not some man-made wisdom, some worldly concept today, but your Holy Spirit's uh, driving force behind what we hear from Scripture today, that we would know it fully, know you more fully. May may we not cast off things that are difficult, but embrace them and, and just believe you and love you and follow you, Father God, in this world. And today, we pray that not only is your word uh, convicting, but it, it, it's, it's a, uh, a healing ointment on our wounds that, that would truly restore our soul, that we would be, as King David last week, so pleased with your thoughts that they would just resonate in us, cause us to rise up for your glory. May you do this work. We can't do this apart from you, Father. We confess that. And so we ask today that you would uh, impart your Holy Spirit's wisdom to us. Um, that we would know your son, Jesus. And then we pray all this stuff, all these things. We bind up in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is a funny part of the psalm. Um, there, and it's not. It is and it's not. It's stuff we don't often get into. And I don't know how often we think about um, hating someone. And that's what David says today, right? And, and I want to kind of dig in and go, well, what, what would David in this psalm, he's written so, written so beautifully. Someone said of the psalm, they said, if, 
if it were not for these verses, it would be a great psalm, right? That's what people, it would be so much better. But it's, not, it's God's word. We don't do that. We don't pick and choose. And so what is it? I've been talking about the flow of the text and how it started with our story, you know, and then it, it talks about how the God's everywhere ahead of us and behind us. He hems us in and in the grandeur and then our, our minutia of being created. And then last week we talked about how David's mind was just like, wow, you're so much bigger than we could have imagined. You're, you, you're so much bigger than my dreams. You're bigger than I could have hoped for. You're, you're everywhere. You're all around us. And David's overwhelmed. And I believe that's the key to understanding these verses is that in that moment, in that recognition, and this, you see this throughout Scripture, in this moment of realizing the size, the magnitude, the glory of God, in that moment, we are suddenly convicted or convinced of the brokenness around us. You'll remember that um, Peter, when Jesus was in the boat with him, when he, when he realized, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm a people of unclean lips. A brokenness before God. I, I want to just point out, and by the way, it comes, you can see it, it comes right at the end after it says, um, if I were to count your thoughts, they'd be outnumbered the grains of sand, and when I awake, I, I am still with you, I can't believe this. And then I want you to see what David says. Three words, if only you. This heart cry that he, he turns to God and he says, if only you would. God, if only you would do this. I want to know what compels that in David. What drives that in David's heart? And I think what it is, it's the glory and the righteousness, the majesty of God. He recognizes, if only you would do something, God, I would be, I would be better. I would be different. If only you. God, there's two things he mentions. He says, if only you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. Or actually it says, if only you would remove the, the bloodthirsty men. David just struggling with his own lack of righteousness and seeing the righteousness of God. There's this reality that we don't often talk about in Scripture, which is God's absolute, I mean, we, it's all over Scripture, we don't talk about it. It's God's absolute perfect purity, his absolute holiness, his complete otherness. I mean, we talk about, we can't even, the thoughts of God's like ours are so corrupt. Even when we get it right, we get it wrong. And he cries out to God and he says, if only you would remove, slay the wicked, if only you would remove the bloodthirsty men from my life. It would change everything. I actually believe that whenever we, we, when Dave, we hear David cry like that, it's the same thing that he's crying out. He desires this holiness that he sees in God. He desires that righteousness that he sees in God. And that is something that comes from God himself. So here's the first thing I want you to understand is that th this is the reality, that knowing God, and we talked about this this last few weeks, about knowing God and being known by God, that knowing God will, will change our passion it will change our passion. The things that we truly care about, the things that we truly lament. Lament's like a fancy word for like cry out against. 
mourn, right? Knowing God will change us in that way. And we see it here. It changes David's passions. He's so passionate for God's righteousness and holiness. Now, what's he say? He says, slay the wicked. If only you would slay the wicked, God. If only you would take out those who stand against you. That's what he says, 19 and and 20. Listen, if only you would slay the wicked, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name, right? They're against God. And David says, if only you would slay those who are against you. If only you would wipe them off. If only what? What's he after? You know, it, it would be so much better. The world would be a better place if it weren't for all the bad people in it right? There's, there's some problems with that, crying that out as a sin-filled person, just saying. But, but it's what David says. It would be so much. Just take away the unrighteous, God. Just remove them from the earth. And that's the cry of a saint, man. That's the cry of a saint. I'm trying to unpack this a little bit for you. Because then we get, David doesn't back down. He, he amps it up. He builds to this thing, man. He says, if only you would do this, if only you do this. And he starts talking about the things I've done for your glory. But maybe you can't relate today. Maybe you're like, man, I hear you, you know, but I don't, I don't get that. Like, how, how do you cry out that God would remove people from the planet, right? Um, I was thinking back to whenever I first became a believer, because that's always the moment. Do you remember when you were first a believer in Jesus, and by the way, maybe you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus. That's okay that you're not a believer in Jesus yet, right? But, but, but if you have come to faith in Jesus, if you've made that, that transition, that, that Holy Spirit-inspired revelation from a, a lost soul to redeemed in Christ, everything changes. I mean, it truly does change. And I was thinking about that, and there was two things specifically that changed in my life when I came to know Christ. And the first was that I, I, I saw Christians for the first time. I don't mean I saw them. Like, I saw Christians everywhere when I was a non-believer. But I mean, I finally got it. I've told you this before, but it's like a new language. I could understand it, you know? It was like I got what they were saying. I couldn't believe it. All these, my whole life, I hated these people. And then all of a sudden, I have this experience, this private experience with Jesus, and then I go out into the same world, and I'm like, wow, I totally get what you're saying now. That's a gift of God. I didn't earn that. I didn't learn that. That's God's gift. But the second thing, and by the way, there's great joy when you come to Christ. I mean, I love that. It's like this beautiful time. It's like, I mean, you know, you, you're running around like frolicking and the, you know what I mean? You got those little blow things that you never got at the fair when you were a kid that the wind blows. Did you ever, did you get those when you were a kid? Raise your hand. Oh, you were the people. I had never got one of those. So like that was my experience of Jesus. I was like, you know, I mean, you couldn't stop me even talking to people about Jesus. I'm like, I'm so excited because he saved me. It's true. The gospel's true. And people were like, stop, man, you know. And then people who were in church were like, what's wrong with you, <laughs> you know. But then after that, I started to see a second thing, and it was sin. Oh, I mean, sin. I'm the crazy, before Jesus, I didn't see the sin. I mean, I didn't see it. I heard people calling people sinners, but I didn't really get it. I, I didn't. I, I didn't sense the brokenness in the world. I didn't sense all the failures that were going on around me. Oh, man, I didn't get the failures that were happening in me. 
It's a revelation from God. You're my, you're my child. This is the war. This is the battle. Surely you're redeemed. But it's a sin-filled world. And it puts us on that. And, and so here's the truth. And that, first of all, knowing God changes our passions. And secondly, know, knowing God, we see a broken world. We see a broken world like David did for the first time. I'm not saying for the first time for him, but like for me, it was the first time I saw how broken the world was. And the more you examine the perfectness of God, the holiness of God, the more you see all the brokenness around you. I, I say that because I love that David turns to God in that moment when he sees this. He says, only if you would, if you would bring the solution to this. I mean, that's the right response. It's not despair. Oh, woe is us. How are we going to fix it? How can I? That's not the, the response. Is God, you have to do something. You have, to, you have to change something for this broken world. I told you David doesn't stop there. But then he turns on this journey and talking to God and recognizes his grandeur and his glory and seeing his holiness and his beauty and the sin around him. He turns and then he starts to proclaim this in verse uh, 21. He says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh, creator God, right? Do I not hate those who rise up against you, who stand against you? And then David says this, I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them all as my enemies. Man, this is not language you hear much in church anymore. You don't hear very many people saying that. Oh, God, I, I just hate those who are against you. I hate those that are standing against what your word claims. I, I hate it. But again, this is the cry of a saint who's seen the holiness of God. Seen the holiness of God. David, and, and, and there's no way around it. He means it. I, I think it's interesting that he asks the question, though. He says, um, do I not hate those who hate you? Do, do I not stand against those who stand against you in this battle? David cries out this lament. I don't, I don't know if we have laments much anymore like that. I mean, I don't know if we take sin even anywhere near as serious as God does. You know? I mean, like, I always think it's like a, it's like a grading on a curve, sort of. I mean, we say this all the time. Like, well, that's not that bad. That's not that bad, right? I mean, there's worse. Man, it's sin. It's failure. It's brokenness. It's in relationships with each other. It's in relationships with God. It's in our understanding of who we are. It's in our actions, our behaviors. The, I mean, it's, 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 it's everywhere. And David says, do I not stand against all these things, God? I'll remind you that, as he says, I have pure hatred. I'm reminded all the time of this. I mean, this reminds me of it, is that Jesus himself turned to Peter, who just said he's the Christ. And when Peter said, you're not going to go to the cross, Jesus said, what? Get behind me, Satan, Right? I mean, I don't think that's a joke. When Jesus turned to his disciple, his apostle, and he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, does that mean that, that Peter is irredeemable or hopelessly unholy or, or you know, should be killed? No, because that's not what Jesus did. But what does he say about it, this unholiness? He said, you're thinking not about the things that God thinks about, 
but what man thinks about. Man, how much of our thinking is about the way men think, right? I mean, what we get, we get in these big discussions about our understanding of righteousness, our understanding of holiness. One of the hugest sins of all, all time, and it's always present, it's not the modern context only, is that we judge God. We stand over God. I would never follow a God like that. I never believe in a God like that. I heard one time somebody said, I can't follow a God who would give his son's life for anyone. So they reject Christianity. And they judge God. Right? I mean, that, and this is Peter. And it's Peter. You're not going to die on the cross. And Jesus says, I am going to die on the cross because that's what God wants. And you don't want what God wants. So he says, get behind me. Get behind me. Isn't that interesting? Do I not hate those? Do I not? We sang songs say about turning our eyes away from evil things. Jesus says, you don't belong in front of me anymore. Peter, the follower of Jesus. The truth is this. As disciples of Jesus, we will hate the sin-filled world. I just think that's true. I think that there'll be something, and you might not want to admit it, man, and you might not want to say it like that. You go, oh, you can't, that's so unattractive. Like, who's going to want to believe if you say you, but it, I hate the sinful world. I'm not saying I'm the example, but do you feel that in you? I mean, do, do you lament the sin you see? And, you know, like, and we've got to be careful because it's, it's all around. We don't judge people. We don't condemn people. But man, we can hate that sin-filled brokenness of the world. We can lament with all the saints the failures that are around us. Indeed, the failures that are in our own, in our own lives. See, later, uh, Jesus talks to the disciples about the high price of discipleship. This is from, this is from uh, Luke 14. Because, you know, you might go, man, I'm not sure what you're talking about today. Luke 14, uh, Luke chapter chapter 14, verse 26. This is what Jesus said about the high price of discipleship. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his very life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, now that's from Jesus' mouth. You go, what does that mean, Jesus? You're supposed to be about love. What are you talking about? You must hate. Others to follow me, that doesn't make any sense, right? But it's this second placing of everything else in our life. We, we won't accept something else as a substitute for Jesus. We can't believe something else more than we believe Jesus. We look at the words and we go, oh, and it's not contrary to Scripture, like, because we're supposed to love and honor our parents, right? But there's something in following Jesus that, that, that puts them second. The following him. Indeed, the most amazing part, and the reason I think that David's lament is so interesting is because even your own life, even, I want you to think about this for a minute. And this happened in the Bible before. If God had answered that prayer of David's righteous prayer and removed all the unrighteous people from the earth, that'd be it. Right? I mean, who's left? David's asking questions. Do I not? Do I not? Not perfectly, no. You don't stand against those perfectly. 
but, but they're contrary to what God wants. Yes, you cannot be my disciple, all right? So here's the, so that's the, that's the, the tough stuff, man, that's found in the psalm. But here's the amazing thing, right? So you go from that absolute purity, holiness, righteousness of God to the reality that in his infinite, infinite, infinite love for his people, he would send his son in flesh and blood to redeem the sins of the world, right? That the cross of Jesus is miraculous because it's this great proclamation of God's hate for sin, but it's love for his people. It's the answer to the prayer that David prayed, if only you would make a way. And Jesus is God's answer. I'll make a way for the righteous, for those who are pursuing me with all of their heart. The reality of God's holiness, his righteousness, is manifest in the grace that comes in Jesus Christ. The most amazing thing is that this Holy One of God, the Messiah, came and sat with sinners, ate with sinners, loved sinners, died for sinners who were far from God and hopeless without Him. I told you we're going to close. I'm gonna, I want to read from Luke 6. This is about Jesus. This is in verse 17. It says, Jesus went down with them, that's his disciples, many disciples, by the way, and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all across Judea and Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre to Sidon, and who had come to hear Jesus, now listen, and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. See, this is the miracle, is that Jesus heals haters. He heals us. He restores us. And not only that, but then Jesus calls us to something that we cannot do of ourselves. He calls us to love others. It says this, Looking then, after he's healing those who are far from him, looking then at his disciples, he says, blessed are you who are poor because yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who hunger now because you will be satisfied. Listen to the word. Blessed are those who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you or insult you or reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven because that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Blessed are you. Do you hear the connection to the psalmist? Lament. Oh God, that you would do something. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, blessed are you when you sense that brokenness because you will find healing. You will see the kingdom as it should be. That's beautiful. Unless we get this wrong, lest we get this wrong, I want to pick up in verse 27, but I tell you, Jesus says, 
the righteous, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This is Jesus' instructions for his people. And indeed, it's not just his instructions for us, but it's how he manifests his great love for sinners like us. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he could take abuse, denial. Man, I sense myself on the hater side of David's lament. You want to know the grace of God? It's that he hasn't acted on his righteousness yet. He's offering salvation through Jesus to us. It's a gift that one more sinner can come, that one more can be redeemed. I don't know where you are, and I don't know if you know that gospel today, but I pray that you do. And even as you sense the brokenness of the world and the sin around you and the sin in you, that you would turn to God and be healed. Turn to Jesus and believe. I'm going to ask that you would pray with me if you would. Father God, we give you thanks and praise for the great and glorious work you did on the cross, a work that we could not have done of ourselves and that we do not deserve. Father, that we, when we say crazy things to you like we want what we deserve, that we praise you, we don't get what we deserve. Eternal separation or condemnation as haters of you. But we get this magnificent love of our Savior, Jesus. We get your Holy One who would turn the other cheek, who would open his hands for sinful man, that he would give his life on a cross, that he would lay dead. For what? To show us your glory, to show us your redemption. Father God, I pray a prayer today that you would receive us into your kingdom. I know so many of us here, Father, we, we, we know you through Jesus. We, we know the gospel. Help us, Father, have that righteous understanding of your holiness that, that it would not be something that we had to be taught, but we would just feel it. Give us, help us to have words to express that in love, to express that, that it's, it's not hate, it's love that the brokenness we see, we, we despise it because it's not how you want it to be. Oh, that it would be received rightly by those who you are rescuing from the flames. That your people would have the right heart to proclaim the truth of a God who loves him so much that he won't even let hate stop him. Uh, Father, today for your word and for the work you do, we give you praise and thanks. We pray that we would uh, recognize all at once our sin and your righteousness, our brokenness and your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.